Uh, Let's stand together at this time. We're going to be looking at our third message on Christianity. And today it's all about behaving. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We're in the midst of a short series of messages uh, taking a biblical view of Christianity. Many things can be defined and described simply by saying what it is and what it does. What it is and what it does. We've already seen a Christian is someone who becomes a Christian because no one is born a Christian. You have to become one. And there's only one way to become a Christian, and that is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive him then as your Savior. The Bible uses many different words for it, but it's all describing the same thing. Christ died for our sins, which means that we recognize ourselves as a sinner and that he died for me. He was buried and rose again the third day, promising then that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that you've done that today and that you are a Christian in the biblical sense because you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then we saw over the last couple of weeks that a Christian also is defined by what we believe. And not only what we believe about salvation, but knowing what we believe, the great, great truths of of the Bible... And I pointed you to our doctrinal statement, not because it's a test that you have to pass in order to become a Christian, or not even that it's a test that you have to pass in order to become a member of this church, but because it shows you a number of the great, great themes of Scripture, things that we need to be familiar with, things that we need to know, what we believe, and why we believe them. And it gives you then a good biblical framework to discuss these things, to consider them, uh, to to discuss them with your family, uh, to get to learn more then about those basic truths of Scripture. It starts out in the very first statement about the Word of God itself, reminding us that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union, union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct Creeds and opinions should be tried. All scripture bears witness to Jesus. So Christianity is certainly defined by what it is. It is a born-again believer who recognizes then the authority of scripture. The way that we know how to be saved is because the Bible tells us so. The way that we know that Jesus Christ died for us is because the Bible tells us so. So everything about our Christian life then is is uh, revolving around those two great things. If we're saying, well, what is a Christian? What is Christianity? It is a born-again believer who recognizes the authority of Scripture in all things, embraces that truth, and endeavors to live life in accordance with it. Do we always get it right? No. 
But you see how that our discussion of Christianity then falls within these two frameworks. It's about what it is and what it does. What it is and what it does. And that brings us to the subject of today's message, which is our behavior. Christians behave. Now, the Colossian church to which this letter is addressed in our text today deals with the subject of Christian behavior with amazing clarity and conciseness. When we consider how weighty a subject this is, you might expect that the subject of Christian behavior might fill uh, several volumes. You know, it would be like those old encyclopedias that maybe your grandma still has on a bookshelf somewhere and nobody ever looks at them. But they look good sitting on the shelf, so we hang on to them. Uh, and, and you just say, well, surely this complicated and complex uh, subject of how a Christian should behave would fill massive numbers of volumes instead. Paul's going to cover it in a couple of chapters. Amazing clarity. Very concise. He begins with the fact that we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that in our text. If then you were raised with Christ. We can only be raised with Christ if we died with Christ and was buried with Christ and are therefore risen with Christ. That is a spiritual reality for you if you have indeed been born again. You see, when you were saved, the death of Jesus Christ became your death. His burial then is counted as your burial. His resurrection then becomes your resurrection so that his new life becomes our new life. Theologically, we call that the doctrine of union with Christ. Union with Christ. And Paul is going to refer to that again and again in the couple of chapters that are before us. You look at it back in Colossians 2 and 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So here we are. We're believers in Christ. We have died with Christ. We've been buried with him. We have been raised with him. We are a new creation. We are in Christ. And Christ is in us. And yet, though we can say that because of this, sin no longer reigns over us or rules over us, unfortunately, we cannot say that sin no longer resides in us because it does. And Paul then tells us, and as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. What great words those are. Rooted and built up in him and established. Any farmer, anybody who's ever grown any kind of crop or even plants knows what it is like to root something and then to see it grow up and then finally become established so that it is reproducing itself and growing Uh, What great concepts these are. Rooted in him. Built up in him. Established in the faith. He would go on in Colossians 2 and 9 and say, For in him, and that is Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. 
this eternal union then that we enjoy with Jesus Christ is so great that in Ephesians chapter 2 we are told that we have actually been raised up together with him and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the spiritual reality, not in the sense, you know, our spirit is inside of us, but there is a spiritual reality in which God sees us right now, if you're a believer in Christ, as being raised up because we're in Christ, we're where He is. We've been raised up together with Him. We are sitting together with Him. Why? Because we're in Christ spiritually. We've been united with Him. Christ is there. Therefore, in Him we are there. We are in Christ. He would tell that to the Colossian believers so long ago. You are in Christ. But they were also in Colossae. In Christ. But in Colossae. And in a similar way, we this morning are all in Christ. And in Cabot. Therefore, a tension exists. A tension that we know too well. Because though we have been united with Christ so that sin no longer rules over us, yet sin still resides in us. And sometimes sin rages in us. Our behavior, you see, how does a Christian behave? The poet Oliver Wendell Holmes is credited with popularizing the phrase that it's possible, he said, that a person can be so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly good. Uh, He was describing how that there were many Christian people who were just so fond of heaven and thought so much about heaven that they really could not function in this world. Uh, But in the Early part then, in the middle part of the last century, in the mid-1900s, there was a great preacher. You've heard me talk about him a lot by the name of Vance Havner. He turned that around to say, he said, it's not that Christians are so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly good. He said, most American Christians are so earthly minded as to be of no heavenly good. Hmm. Ouch. His concern was valid. Paul described a war going on in Romans chapter 7. He brought it back up again in Galatians chapter 5. Where he said, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. In a practical way, what does that mean? Uh, That means that the flesh wants to do certain things. But because you're a believer in Christ, you don't let the flesh have its way. The flesh don't get its way all the time. But at the same time, the flesh is working against the spirit so that your spirit wants to do things, but the flesh doesn't let that do it either. So in a way, neither side of you, neither the spiritual side of us nor the physical side of us is getting their way and happy all the time. No matter whether they're in right, upright, or downright, we're just not happy all the time because we don't get to do the things that we want the flesh doesn't get its way the spirit doesn't get its way all the time but he gives us a great principle when he says walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh you see it is the presence of the spirit of God that enables Christ to live in us and therefore the command to walk in him is accomplished 
as we walk in the Spirit. Folk, this is a choice that we make every day. Listen to me today. This is a choice we have to make every day of our lives, whether we will walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh, and we make it either consciously or unconsciously. The unconscious part is one that is just natural. It comes easy to us, and that's walking in the flesh. Unless you've had a stroke, you don't have to say, step, step. Step Now, if you've had a stroke, you may well have to walk again. And you do, in fact, your mind has to consciously tell your body to step, holding on to something. You, don't, you put it in there, and your fingers will just hold on to it most of the time. You don't have to say, breathe in, breathe out. It comes naturally to us. It's not a conscious decision. It is an unconscious decision. I'm going to tell you this morning that walking in the flesh, living in the flesh... It's something all of us do naturally. We've been doing it all our lives. We were doing it before we were saved. The possibility of continuing to do that goes on with us. It is our default mode of living and operating. Now, we can clean up the flesh and make it look pretty good and sound pretty good, especially on Sunday morning. But it's still the flesh. It's still the flesh. And unless we make a conscious decision to live some other way, then our default way of living is going to continue. I wish I could tell you today that you could make this when you're 9 or 11 or 19 years old, and it would be with you forever. You make that choice. But that's not the way it is. Every day, at least, sometimes several times a day, sometimes moment by moment, we have to make a choice, a conscious decision. Either I'm going to do what comes naturally to me and let the flesh do what the flesh does, or I'm going to walk in the Spirit and choose to walk in that way. Now, the problem with the flesh, even though we can clean it up and make it look pretty good, the problem is that the flesh has the potential of all kinds of evil. So in our text in Colossians 3, hang with me, Paul says this, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he lists all of these horrible kinds of evil that reside in the flesh. Fornication, that is sexual immorality. In all of its forms, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on. Now you yourselves are to put off all these. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And it seems rather clear that in that passage when he brings up lying at the end he is talking about living a, a lie living in deceit and we are putting on this display like we're living in the spirit and we can make ourselves look pretty spiritual we can but in our heart of hearts we know it's a lie because when we go home all those old habits tend to break forth 
See, the flesh is as rotten as it ever was, no matter how long you've been saved. And if we're operating an old man renovation society, it's never going to work. That's why the Bible says put these things to death. So we've got a default mode. And that default mode in your life and my life is to live by the flesh and do what the flesh does. And we can make the flesh look pretty good. After all, it's not going to do everything it wants to do because the Spirit is working in us. But we can still get up in the morning and unless we make a conscious choice and a conscious decision that we're going to live in the Spirit, then we will simply get up that day and start doing what the flesh does. And the problem is, is that with the flesh, there is all kinds of evil at its worst then. When believers in Christ are operating in that default mode of the flesh at its worst It will show up in a landslide of all of those old habits and all of that old lifestyle that we had before we are saved just coming back and taking over for a while. That's at its worst. At its best, at its best, (laughs) we find ourselves living a fairly good life with occasional eruptions of bad behavior and the bad language and the bad habits that go with it filthy language all those things why is this important one preacher put it this way and I love this he said the supreme goal of any Christian should be to live in such a way as to make it easy for others to believe in Jesus Now, there's a lot more that I have to say on these things this morning. I've got a lot more I could say than I have time to say. I certainly haven't covered the concept exhaustively, but I do hope that we've carefully established the context of how we're going to cover this subject then of Christian behavior as it's presented in our text in Colossians 3. Now, if you're looking at your watch, you're worried at this point. And if you're not worried now, you're going to be when I tell you there are three points in this passage. But I'm not going to cover them exhaustively either. The three points are easy to see. He talks about our affection, our attention, and our anticipation. You see, our goal is that we want to live the kind of life that it makes it easy for others to believe in Jesus, especially those who we love the most and are around us the closest That we really want to see them come to believe in Jesus. And we want to make it easy for them by our lifestyle. That's our goal. That's why it matters. So how do we put this in play? How do we make it happen? How can we make that conscious decision then to live every day according to the flesh or according to the spirit? The unconscious decision, live in the flesh. The conscious decision, Rather to live in the spirit. Our affection, our attention, our anticipation. Verse 1, then, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Still with our affections. We see that in the word seek. Seek. Literally, this could be translated, keep on seeking or continually seek those things which are above. So this requires daily and sometimes hourly and sometimes moment-by-moment choices that we must make where our actions and our affections are concerned. 
Where is our longing? What do we desire? What is our heartfelt burden? And Paul defines that for us. It should be set in heaven where Christ is. Because he is our life. This is the same Paul who said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is Cain. What do we live for? Do we live for our kids? Do we live for our spouse? Do we live for our job, our business, our career? Do we live for success? Do we live for sports? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And if we put anything else in that slot, then of course we're not going to get much of the die is gain part. You understand? Paul could say, for me to die is gain. Why? Because for me to live is Christ. Where is Christ? It's in heaven. I'm going to be with the one I've lived for my whole life. But if we put anything else there, not only is that true, But it is also true that if those things that we're living for are somehow lost, we may feel as if our life is over and we have nothing to live for. What if our career goes away? What if our business goes under? What if our kids are somehow lost to us? What what then? What do we live for? Our our unconscious decision is always to live in the flesh. It's always there. It's always ready. But it carries with us the possibility of eruptions of all kinds of evil. But if we start every day with a conscious choice. Saying, I love you, Jesus. And today, I want to live my life to please you. I want to live... To please Christ. To walk in you. I want to live in the spirit. So that my longing and my desire. And my affection. Is to please you and honor you. So that I can make it easy. For the people that I'm around today. To believe on Jesus. Set your affection. On things above. Then. Set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Our affections seek those things, rather, which are above. Then set your mind on things above. This has to do with our attention. Uh, you see, our natural mode is the flesh. The flesh can be okay. and it can, We can make it clean up. We can make it look pretty good. But then our buttons get punched. And the devil always has a way of making sure our buttons do get punched, by the way. You figured that out by now. And so now comes this conscious choice, not only to have my affections in heavenly places so that my longing and my desire is to please Jesus Christ, but what do I give my attention to? Now let me give you a quick thing we call a disclaimer. If you're at work, your attention better be on your job, okay? You got a job to do, you have to do it, whatever that is. Obviously, we have to set our minds on certain things. That has to happen day in, day out. We have kids to feed, houses to clean. People have real problems and real needs. That's why we have a job. You are in school. You've got to set your mind on what you're trying to learn. Yes, we are living in Christ, but we're also living in Cabot. And living in Cabot requires a lot of attention, especially if you're trying to drive around town. Amen. Man. Now notice Philippians 3.18, just quickly. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross. 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. Notice, who set their mind on earthly things. Exact opposite of what he says in our text. Set your mind on things above. But here are people who are enemies of the cross. Why? Because they have set their mind on things below, on things on earth. And because their God is their belly and all these other things is true, they become an enemy of the cross of Christ. In the end, then, our, we set our minds on earthly things and our mind is consumed with no thought for Christ. The Old Testament tells us the story of a very high governmental official named Daniel. He was an advisor to the king. He had responsibilities for the whole nation. And by the way, it's the most powerful nation in the world at the time. As a believer, Daniel was hated and under attack. His enemies began to watch him. And after watching him for a period of time, they decided that the only way they were going to get to Daniel was to somehow make his faith illegal. And they did. They talked the king and in his pride and boastfulness. They talked the king into passing an edict. You know, if people are praying to some god and trying to get their needs met through him, then they're not coming to you, king. And so we want to make it illegal to pray. And they did. Passed the law, signed, sealed, delivered, no praying. What did Daniel do? Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice, as was his custom since early days. In the morning when we get up, at lunchtime, at evening when we get home, we need to desperately make it our goal to follow, follow Daniel's example three times a day. To set our mind for a few moments on heavenly things. And what did Daniel pray about? <laughs> the Bible tells us. He prayed and gave thanks before his God. One of the easiest ways to set our affection and set our mind on things above is by thanking God for all he's doing. It may be hard for you to thank God for your boss or to thank God for your job. But the harder it is to thank God for these things, it might just tell us that that's something we need to do a little bit more. Because we are thankful we've got a job. We are thankful we have business to do. We make then three times a day a conscious choice to set our minds on heavenly things. So that we're not totally consumed with earthly things. The last one then, affection, attention, is anticipation. For your diet and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the third key ingredient that is a part of our conscious choice. That speaks of our ultimate motivation, which is so, why it's so critical for us to get this right. Our unconscious choice, our default mode, will always be to the flesh. So we have to make a conscious choice to walk in the Spirit. 
Because we don't want to be enemies of the cross of Christ. We don't want to live in such a way that if our friends or our neighbors or our family members are going to get saved, the Holy Spirit's going to have to drag them over our testimony. Because our testimony is an enemy of the cross. We don't want that. We don't want that. And so our anticipation is always there, reminding us the fact that our lives are looking constantly in a different direction because we look for Jesus to return. We're looking in anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ who's going to come back for his people so that we can appear with him in glory because Jesus then is coming because he's returning. He gave us very clear instructions to follow. And I hope that it means more to you now after listening to this sermon than it meant to you before. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. 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 And follow me. You see, this is a choice that we're going to make either unconsciously or consciously. If we just reside on the unconscious way and we just get up out of the morning, get up in the bed, get out of bed in the morning and go in and make our coffee and start stumbling around and (laughs) just making life go. Unless we do something, we're going to just go into default mode. And our default mode of living is in the flesh. We can clean it up. We can make it look pretty good. It won't mean, I'm not saying that all of us are going into some dire sin every day. It just means that we're just living in the default mode. And if our buttons get pushed, and they will, if the right set of things happen, and those right set of things happen, the right thing gets our attention because then we're in the flesh. There is that dangerous potential of it erupting then in just about any kind of evil. And the old habits that we've struggled with all our life, they're still there. And the way then to avoid that so that we behave the way God intends for us to behave as Christians is to walk in the Spirit. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, therefore so walk in Him. And no, we can't be saved every day, folk, and we don't need to. We're saved one time and it lasts forever. But what we do need to do every day is take up that cross And you notice the Bible said, not take up my cross. That's not what Jesus said. Take up his cross. Uh, If you want to follow me, then deny yourself. Let a man deny himself. Take up his cross daily. And follow me. So that every day we make that conscious decision. I'm going to carry the cross today. Everybody's going to see it because you can't hide a cross. Everybody's going to see it because you can't hide a cross. And I'm going to follow Jesus today. Some of you need to make that decision this morning. You've been wrestling with things. Maybe you have been wrestling with that whole issue of faith. And the most important decision anybody can ever make is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as their Savior. Maybe you've done that and you know you're saved, but you've been wrestling with that whole decision about baptism. 
You know what the Bible says. It's not necessary for me to walk you through all of that. You know baptism is important. You've seen it already this morning. If you're looking for a church home and you believe that God has led you to be a part of this, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. You don't have to respond by walking down the aisle. If you want to come to me after church, I'll be there. Brother Shiloh will be there. Brother Justin will be there. Brother Bill will be there. You can come to any of your pastors. We'd love to talk to you after church. But you can also respond to this invitation as we're singing it. Come down. We'd love to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. We'll make that decision to follow the Lord in baptism, to unite with this church. Maybe God is calling you to special service. Maybe you're just tired of being an enemy of the cross. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of fighting this. I can't do it on my own. And you were never intended to. And today you want to make that choice. I'm going to follow Jesus.